Welcome to another sparkling and exciting edition of Plank of the Week. This has been going now for six months and it just keeps getting more and more popular. And I'm delighted to say that I'm joined this afternoon by somebody who hasn't yet done Plank of the Week, uh, and that is Esther Kraku. Esther, very warm welcome to Plank of the Week, the most successful talk radio TV show in history. Thank you for having me. Not at all. I'm looking forward to your contributions. And of course, a veteran of Plank of the Week, Mr. Mark Dolan, uh, talk radio host, comedian, uh, after-dinner speaker, raconteur. Mark, I haven't seen you for a while, but I see you've done the obligatory bookcase shot behind you. Of course I have. And uh, almost all of these books are uh, embarrassing and probably will end my career. They are Elton John biographies. (laughs) Well, as long as none of them are in any way uh, linked to something that we should be ashamed of, that's fine. No, what I did is I actually invited Michael Gove's wife round to take out anything that looked controversial. That's good. She's got a bit of previous on that one. Yeah, she's very good at that sort of thing, amongst many of her other talents. Now, why don't we uh, give you the honour of starting off with your first Plank nominee of the week, Esther? Okay, this is probably a regular for me personally. It's always Prince Harry. (laughs) Well, he's a very popular Plank, I have to say. Everything, everything I see about Prince Harry in the media, I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I think that's a question that a lot of people find themselves asking, including members of the royal family. Well, other than the fact that he's married to, you know, a feminist Z-lister, I don't understand why he would leave the royal family to hide away from the cameras and the publicity and go couch surfing in millionaires' homes in LA. Yeah. And also to go to the sort of world headquarters of the paparazzi, where they don't seem exactly. to think, where they didn't seem to think they could be bothered by photographers. It seems extraordinary, doesn't it? It's like watching an emasculation in slow motion. Yes, it really is. It's quite sad in its way, you know, because you do wonder whether it's uh, it's all going to end in some horrible way. Mark, I mean, you are a man who knows a thing or two about being married to uh, to somebody who might be a slightly stronger personality than you. I'm not, you know, casting any aspersions on Mrs. Dolan, but, you know, I mean, he is in a terrible place, isn't he? Well, yes, uh for those that don't know, I, I married a German national. I think she wanted a passport, <laughs> looking back on it. But like Harry, I've made my bed. I'm going to have to lie in it. And yes, she does, I'm afraid, uh, fulfill some of the stereotypes we have about the Germans. And <laughs> only this morning she annexed the bathroom, which is uh, not not legal. But, you know, that's uh, that's 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 what happens. Ultimately, I think that Esther is so right to raise Harry as a candidate for Plank of the Week. And the reason why is because he made a mistake. He tried to escape the media scrutiny and also the rigorous control of the royal family in terms of being a free man. He wanted to do his own thing and be a citizen of the world. But he's jumped out of the frying pan into the fire because he has married uh, somebody that appears to be a virtue signaling control freak. And so rather than the royal family and the press dictating Harry's life, he's now got a Z-list actress, as Esther described her. Mm. And I think that's significantly worse than where he was. Yeah, I think, Esther, that she's been talking about her disappointment about not being offered these great new roles in Hollywood because she thought that, you know, as a woman of colour, that she might actually be cutting through uh, all of the kind of uh, studio bosses. They'd be desperate to hire her. But they haven't been desperate to hire her. And the main reason for that is she's not actually a very good actress. It's got nothing to do with, you know, anything else. And I wonder, Esther, whether you think, like I do, that at some point or other, we will see Harry kind of coming back to these shores with his tail between his legs, uh, having admitted that it didn't really work out terribly well. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, for me, the whole Megan situation is kind of like the parable of the oppressed millionaire, isn't it? Yeah, it is absolutely insane. Mark, what's your first nominee this week? I'm going to offer Sir Keir Starmer, who is leader of the opposition and uh, a former lawyer, which is why I like to call him Rumpole of the Bailey. (laughs) And sometimes watching him at Prime Minister's Questions is as dull as a chapter from one of the Rumpole of the Bailey novels. He by really John is. Mortimer. He really is incredibly dull. Although I did actually see him, I'm pretty sure, you may correct me if I'm wrong, flirting with Laura Kunzberg the other day when she asked him if he was getting his hair cut, which suddenly turned into a really rather creepy conversation. And when she then said, date, people were like, is she asking him for a date or is she asking him what date he's getting his hair cut? Oh, I, I tell you, I mean, this guy is a pin-up for uh, Beth Rigby, uh, Laura Kunzberg, <laughs> and I wonder if... Robert Peston has a man crush on him. He probably does, actually. He's entirely correct. He probably likes his hair parting, which is very uh, severe, isn't it? I don't don't know where you get a parting like that if you haven't been to the hairdressers. No, although I noticed that shares in Brill Cream have significantly increased since he became leader of the opposition, because I can only imagine it's that iconic product from the 1950s and 60s that's keeping his hair in one place. The problem is the hair is solid. The political position is not, Mike. No. Um, I have said on talk radio and i've put it on record that i'm so glad that corbyn's out the qualification for whoever replaced corbyn was anybody that's not jeremy corbyn kermit the frog would do a better job than than corbyn and therefore it's good news for the labor party and for the country that we don't have the threat of somebody who was going to um, destroy the economy threaten national security and basically drive us back to the 1970s when we were the economic sick man of europe so we dodged a bullet and therefore i still you know i'm in the honeymoon period of of not having that bearded lunatic um (laughs) still 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 at prime minister's questions however he has um, an unfortunate political habit mike and that is trying to ride two horses at the same time in politics i don't think you can do that you must pick your side so boris swept a victory in December 2019 because he backed Brexit. Get Brexit done. It was an election campaign in three words. And yes, he alienated many millions of Remain voters, but he knew that that's the nature of politics. It's about making a choice. Of course, um, we, we've seen historically uh, Keir Starmer earn Plank of the Week back in the day before the election when he was the architect of Labour's disastrous Brexit policy, which was to basically be dishonest and say to Brexiteers, I respect the result, and then say to Remainers, we're going to have a second referendum. Mm. Well, look how that went. He's doing it again now. So basically, he did fantastically well to sack uh, Rebecca Wrongdaily last week. But he's still trying to sort of seduce the hard left of the party, as well as the kind of Blairite centrists. And until he is brave and understands that the public rejected Corbyn and the politics of Corbyn, he will never win. He has got to basically do a sort of drastic surgery on his party and physically remove um, that that sort of rump of uh, of sort of lefty lunatics that have obviously caused such damage yeah. over the last well, five my, years. I mean, he's got rid of most of them, hasn't he? But you know, they're still out there, unfortunately, in the local Labour parties. I'm assuming you're referring to his statement the other day where he moved away from his support for Black Lives Matters as an organisation because he said, we do not support any organisation that wishes to defund the police. Quite right, but about time. And maybe he should have thought of that before he started kneeling in that rather odd pose he did with Angela Rayner 
um, in that strange room, which looked as if they were waiting to be signed up for, you know, some kind of weird, you know, a, a, you know, cult party or something, you know? Well, I thought he was in a North Korean jail cell, actually, <laughs> because he had that look of a hostage about him. But the bottom line is he was a hostage to political correctness and to a, a movement that basically demands support. Otherwise, you are the enemy and you're somehow a racist person. Really, really shocking. And you're absolutely right, Mike. I was going to culminate my comments about Keir Starmer as to say he should be Plank of the Week because of his kneeling for the Black Lives Matter um, political project. By the way, small b, small l, small m, everyone's on board with that. Black Lives Matter. Of course they do. But we know that it's, it's a name for a Marxist, hard left um, political platform that so many black people in this country and America around the world have rejected because it's a Trojan horse for, for uh, you know, hardcore communism, basically defund the police. Um, it's, it's, it's actually a shocking platform if you look into the politics of it. I'm very anti-democratic. And this is a cause that Keir Starmer has backed. So he's got to stop virtue signaling. He mustn't become the Justin Trudeau of British politics. Um, he's got to man up, pick a side, get rid of the left and give up the photo ops. Absolutely right. Esther, you've spoken on my show about Black Lives Matter and how you don't feel that they represent you or indeed many other black people around the world. And it is strange for me to watch a Black Lives Matter march and hardly see any black people on it. Yeah, that's that's kind of the hypocrisy of the whole situation. I mean, this is the thing. There's no great conspiracy behind um, sort of trying to tarnish the Black Lives Matter movement or organization. You go to the website and it's, it's there. It's clear as day. Um, and it, it did disappoint me a lot that I saw some of these Premier League footballers wearing Black Lives Matter on their shirts and someone like Keir Starmer kneeling to God knows who. Every Western society, um, society at the moment just needs a big dose of man up. And stop just jumping to uh, whichever cause you think is the one that you think you should be joining. Because my first nomination is somebody who's done that. Uh, and it's a woman who is not, for me, not an incredibly A-list, well-known actress. But she's been in some interesting shows. Florence Pugh, uh, who's a, a British actress. She was in Little Women. She was in The Little Drummer Girl. She's been in quite a few sort of high-profile BBC television shows. She's only 24 years of age. She moved to Los Angeles, which I'm afraid has made her even more woke than she was when she was living in North London, not a million miles away from Mark Dolan, uh, which is full of the sort of the woke Guardian reading, um, you know, intelligentsia. She's decided, right, that she has to say how truly sorry she is. Now, I can only assume this is because she thinks she might miss out on a few roles in America if she's not woke enough. But she's basically, she says she appropriated other people's cultures throughout her life. And she's now learned that that was indeed wrong. Now, this is not as if she's been um, prancing about, you know, uh, putting blackface on or doing anything really, really, really awful. This is because at eight years old, she apparently was befriended uh, by a little uh, Asian girl that lived in her neighbourhood whose parents ran a shop and they once gave her a henna tattoo on her wrist, which, as everybody knows, is the kind of thing that people do when they're on holiday, kind of thing that people do when they're at the beach, the kind of thing that people do at Glastonbury. You know, a henna, I mean, I've never had a henna tattoo. Uh, you might not be surprised to know. Um, but it's hardly culturally uh, misappropriating somebody. She also said that she's felt sorry for the Indian family um, because they were made to give her this tattoo. I mean, she was eight years old, right? Um, and she says that, you know, they shouldn't have been exploited. Um, these are people who willingly were paid by other people to give them henna tattoos. I mean, I don't really get it. The other one, you'll like this one even more. And when she was 18, apparently, she went on holiday somewhere uh, and she had her hair put into cornrows. 
like you do when you go on holiday, right? <laughs> so Esther is there holding her head in her hands. You just think, what is stop, wrong with you? Stop the madness. My goodness, stop the madness. Why is everyone losing their minds over such nonsense? I don't care. We have bigger issues to be dealing with. I cannot believe people are, are they think that this is this is what plays individuals and ethnic minorities yeah. in particular. I can't but this is, I mean, in the past week alone, um, Mark, I'll come to you in a second on this. We've had chess being accused of being racist because the white piece moves first. We've had the countryside being accused of being racist because there's very few black people that live in the countryside or to even go there. Uh, we've also had all manner of, um, you know, accusations being made by people uh, of, of film stars. I mean, I don't know whether, whether this woman, Florence, thought that somebody was going to produce a picture of her aged 18 with her hair in cornrows. I mean, so what? As Esther says, who cares? Absolutely yeah. right. I mean, I think what we're looking for, Mike and Esther, is um, the really big picture here in terms of equality based upon the color of your skin. And I think that the issue you've got with Los Angeles based actors, pop stars, and I'm afraid politicians as well, is, is very much an approach that's on the surface. It's about removing statues. It's about canceling 90s TV comedy shows. And this does nothing for people who are subject to prejudice and inequality because of, you know, the, the culture into which they were born or the color of their skin. So I, I certainly wouldn't deny for a second that we've got huge issues um, in this country and around the world. Uh, and, and do you know how we tackle that? We tackle that in the way that women tackled not having the vote 100 years ago. This is what we're talking about. This is tangible change. So, for example, equal opportunity, which I think this government is very much on board with delivering equal opportunity for every citizen of the country, uh, equal pay, uh, equality under the law. You know, are there aspects of the criminal justice system that, again, uh, treat people differently because of the color of their skin? You know, these are all tangible issues that really do matter. And when it comes to TV shows and statues, it's 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 a joke, really. It's so trivial and the problem you've got is that all of the hypocritical white people who are on these marches feel satisfied once they've done the march. They've had their pound of flesh and then next week they move on to another issue and they've done nothing for the people they claim to be supporting. No, I think that's absolutely true. Who's your second nominee, Esther? Uh, Dawn Butler. <laughs> Speaking of which. She's one of the most frustrating figures I've seen in this country. This is someone who has ridden the oppression bandwagon all the way to Westminster and is working overtime to keep her seat warm. I'm sure if you asked her what she's actually tangibly done to help any ethnic minority and black people in particular, she would probably spontaneously combust um, from rage and simple confusion. I think this is someone that hasn't, she just, she doesn't, she doesn't bring anything positive to the dialogue. She doesn't bring anything constructive. I mean, she's the first person to level criticism without, you know, actually providing solutions. And that, in, in my book, that's called whining. Yeah. And do you think also there's a danger uh, that when, white people see somebody like Dawn Butler and they might be thinking, you know, I'm fed up to the back teeth of, uh, of all of this being pushed in my face that somehow we're wrong and things that we're doing are wrong. And I worry, actually, seriously, even though this is a funny show, largely, I do worry that, that, that those kind of borderline individuals who, who might end up being racists um, become more racist when they see people like Dawn Butler saying the things that she says. Yeah, I mean, for every action, there's a reaction. I think the fact that we've um, sort of uh, censored the debate so much to the point that someone like Dawn Butler is going to be the voice of black people in this country is completely laughable. And I think that's the kind of um, 
that's the kind of thing that breeds even more resentment and breeds even more extremism. I think it, and this is something that I honestly charge ethnic minorities with. I think it does take someone like myself. I, did, I think it does take, you know, uh, you know, people of Asian heritage and people of different rate, um, religious um, faiths to actually say, no, this is enough. You are not the voice of anyone, really. Um, because if not, we just keep having the media push this person as the de facto um, voice of, of people that look like her. And I simply do not accept that no. at all. No, and it's a ridiculous concept, Mark, isn't it? Because, I mean, I wouldn't assume, for example, that Keir Starmer speaks for all white people any more than I would expect Boris Johnson to speak for all white people, any more than Dawn Butler speaks for all black people. It's a ridiculous idea, you know, as if we're somehow all homogeneously the same because of our skin colour. And I think uh, uh, an important word that Esther used earlier is, is patronising. It's condescending. It's like, oh, there are, you know, minority groups in our society and they, we've got to feel so sorry for these groups. And, and ultimately, no, here we are on talk radio, the home of free speech. And actually, Esther is saying what she thinks. She will not be spoken for by anybody other than herself. And I'm looking at this tweet from Carl Henry, who is um, very talented. Uh, I think he's an ex-footballer. He's a he's a, an ex a black uh, Stoke man. player, I believe. There you go. Well, you know, no one's perfect. But listen, <laughs> the bottom line is he's a guy of uh, considerable integrity. He's a black British man. In fact, he represents everything that is fantastic and brilliant about our country. And he has said uh, whether you uh, agree or disagree with the comments of Black Lives Matters on Israel. Black Lives Matter is just a front for a self-serving far left political organization. And he's a black British man. W what are we going to do? Throw him in jail? Is he a traitor to the cause? I mean, what's what's going on there? Yeah, no, absolutely right. Now, it doesn't come as any great surprise to me that we've only just really got about halfway through the show, not even. And we've already got two nomination nominations from the Labour Party. Uh, I may have to bring another one to bear on that. But Mark, why don't you give us your second one? Let me offer you Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. the founder of Facebook, whose shares last week dropped $56 billion in a day, <laughs> right? Which even for Zuckerberg is, is a fair few quid. Yeah. And uh, he has seen huge companies like Starbucks and Coca-Cola withdraw advertising from the platform because of his refusal to act on hate speech. And let's be very clear that Facebook and also other publishers like YouTube, TikTok, maybe even WhatsApp are a refuge for terrorists, drug dealers, gangsters, paedophiles and hostile states like Russia and China. And I think it's fantastic that these big companies are really going to hurt Facebook in the most direct way. And that is through their wallets. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that everything's gone wrong for Facebook ever since they hired Nick Clegg, Esther. I don't know whether there's <laughs> yeah. a connection to that. Oh, I think my definitely gosh. the two are not unconnected. And my, my feeling is that ultimately the great debate, and I know you've discussed this many times on your brilliant show, Mike, on Talk Radio, is that um, these companies have got to accept that they are publishers. It, it isn't just some kind of, you know, uh, digital equivalent of a notice board. They are um, distributing all of this messaging around the world. It is helping terrorists. It is helping criminals. And further to our earlier chat, it, it's helping racists as well. And the problem you've got on the campaign, I'm not the biggest fan, as you know, Mike, of these hashtags and these sort of campaigns. Yeah. But one of the campaigns at the moment is simply four words, which is stop hate for profit. And the bottom line is the reason why Facebook are so slow to act is because they are making money 
from this hate and they're making money from crime. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thankfully, this is one of the havens of common sense here on uh, uh, on Flank of the Week. So, so I'm going to nominate my Labour politician of the week, uh, which means we're going to have three in the top ten, which is a, possibly a record. And it's Lloyd Russell Moyle. Now, I don't know what makes this guy tick, but he's a bit weird and a bit odd to me. I mean, this is a guy who has talked about taking the fight to the streets, you know. And I mean, it's all very well having polemic and it's all very well... Uh, as we all do, uh, speaking in public and, and, and influencing people and giving your opinion. But when you're an MP, i.e. a lawmaker, you can't go around sort of basically urging people to, to fight other people on the grounds that you don't agree with them politically. His latest faux pas uh, was that the Mail on Sunday somehow managed to find a piece he'd written, I think in Tribune uh, or one of those lefty newspapers about J.K. Rowling, uh, who's been very open about her own terrible experiences um, of sexual assault. She's been demonised by the trans community uh, because of her view that, you know, you can't actually be a woman um, or be called a woman unless you have all the constituent parts of a woman. Um, he decides to join in the fray and, you know, he can have his opinion, although technically speaking, as a man, I would not wish to issue my opinion to a woman and tell her that she was wrong about what women do and what women are. Um, but in addition to that, he then said that she had exploited her own sexual um, violent um, history, which she had been a victim of, uh, in order to make a point. And it was unbelievable. And he was forced to apologise, quite rightly. But even in his apology, which I have here, um, he couldn't actually spell the word apologise. He said, I want to apologise unreservedly about the comments in the article that I wrote last week in Tribune regarding trans rights in which I mentioned J.K. Rowling. Uh, her first disclosures of domestic abuse and sexual assault in her recent article on trans issues were heartfelt and must have been hard to say. But it's, it's another one of those kind of non-apology apologies, Mark. I mean, he's a hideous character, this guy. Well, indeed. And Michael, by way of research, I did just do a quick Google search about Lord Russell Moyle. Um, clearly, he would remain an MP. He'd have to resign um, in order to pr uh, provoke a by-election. But as of this moment in time, he is still shadow minister for the natural environment and air quality. Well, yeah. A, he's responsible for a lot of hot air in recent days. Very good. Uh, this nonsense uh, remark, uh, trivialising ultimately uh, the experience of J.K. Rowling of, 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 of being assaulted. I mean, you know, that's like taking it to an almost Donald Trump level of a cat cavalier attitude to uh you know attacking women so uh, how he's in post i don't know um and his comments were just a disgrace and this i think esther is why keir starmer will still regardless of how well everybody thinks he's doing and i don't quite know why they think he's doing that well but you know he's got yeah. these kind of quirky strange characters in his party and in his parliamentary party and until he gets rid of all of them and becomes a much more sort of blairist centrist kind of sensible leader he's never going to get elected I mean, I get it. You don't want a Labour Party that seems lifeless and boring. 
But um, I don't get why um, people think he's doing a good job. So that's a bit weird. Yeah, I think it is. And Esther, what's your final pick uh, this week? Uh, Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> that's good. He made it into the, uh, the list, I think, for the first time um, last week because he started yeah. to become quite vocal. Um, but he's actually been more vocal this week than he was last week. Tell us why. I get he's jumped on the whole band, uh, Black Lives Matter bandwagon and he's out in London protesting. <clears throat> but some of the statements he's made have been a bit odd. I mean, the, the, the companies, the car companies he works for have links to Nazism and horrible atrocities that were committed in, during the Second World War. I think it's a, it's a bit weird that he hasn't sort of done his, his due diligence before he's jumped on the whole bandwagon of just shouting. It's, it's, I call it a game of so you think you can walk. Well, I mean, it does seem rather strange as well. I mean, this is a guy who's urged everybody to stop eating meat to save the planet while, simul while simultaneously driving around in probably mo the most high-octane, fuel-burning, you know, piece of machinery on the planet while flying with everything that he, got, with, with, that he takes with him around the world constantly. I mean, I dread to think what uh, Lewis Hamilton's carbon footprint is. I would imagine it's probably about 35 times our three put together, um, and that's just on one day. I mean, it's unbelievable, isn't it, Mark? Well, it really is. And I wonder whether he's just so angry with the world because every week there's some latest new diatribe from Lewis Hamilton. And it's probably because he just needs a steak. I think that's the bottom line. His energy levels are low. He is uh, showing uh, <laughs> vegan symptoms and meat deprivation. Vegan rage, you think? I think it's yeah. definitely vegan rage. And look, the bottom line is that ultimately... Um, this is a guy who, you know, like so many celebrities, says one thing and does another. He doesn't live in the United Kingdom. He doesn't pay his main taxes here. I remember um, when the COVID-19 pandemic really sort of uh, kicked off in this country, a lot of celebrities were um, doing little videos to thank the NHS. And there were two particular celebrities um, who, who did just that. And they were Sir Paul McCartney and Sir Elton John. Hmm. And let me tell you about both of those men. They stayed in the United Kingdom throughout their careers, including in the 70s or 60s for, for McCartney, the 70s for Elton John, when taxes were eye-wateringly high. At one point, over 90% income tax. They stayed in the United Kingdom. They paid their taxes. So they've actually earned the right to thank the NHS because, do you know what? Those two men, along with the rest of us, paid for it. Lewis Hamilton is in exile in Monaco, and I think that dilutes any seriousness we should take with any comments he makes. Now, I don't normally like to drop names of my celebrity mates here, but I'm afraid I'm going to have to because uh, I was once told a story about that time when they put the high taxes up. Um, when, when I spent a day with Rod Stewart, um, and he took us to a, uh, a football match in Scotland uh, on his private jet, told the story of when he left the country, his accountant said, you've got to get out. They're going to take all your money. So he said, so I put, he put me on the first flight out of Heathrow and he said, as I walked onto the, the, the jumbo jet um, and got onto the first class section, I looked to my right and there was Eric Clapton. And I looked to my left and there was Mick Jagger. And they were all on the same plane getting away so that they didn't have to pay any tax. So I, I, I agree with you. I take my hat off to those two. But the other thing they're going to do, Esther, I think it's this weekend at the Grand Prix, is they're going to drive a, the Mercedes that they drive around the circuit. And I think it might be the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, they're going to have a black car. Now... You know, call me old-fashioned. I really don't think that's going to help racism around the world. Do you? I cannot believe. Like, I, I saw I saw this thing that says um, support black businesses. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I used to live in Ghana. I've been supporting black businesses technically for my entire life. Right. Do I get a trophy? Do I get a badge? Do I get a prize? I mean, a lot of these initiatives are just, just ridiculous. 
this, this, what is what is a black car going to do for black people? Yeah. Am, <laughs> I, am I selling it? Is it a source of income for me? No. I mean, just sheer stupidity of the entire situation. I cannot believe where we're at. It is hard to believe, Mark. I don't know, Mike, if you remember an Esther before the election, Joe Swinson. Joe who? who? Welcome to politics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she she did an interview and it was vir- very virtue signaling because she declared that Britain is a racist country. And I think that's very different to saying there is racism and and uh, prejudice in our country, which there absolutely is. But saying Britain is a racist country, what you're doing is you're calling a lot of people who are not racist, racist. Mm. And the only thing that's going to do is get people's backs up, alienate people and probably provoke and feed the fires of racism. It's so, so difficult because we have a very tolerant country in which most people are not racist. But if you tell everyone they are, um, I think it'll have the, you know, the reverse effect. And I wonder whether and I didn't think I'd say this to you, Mike, but wonder whether we take a, a leaf out of the book of feminists. Because actually what feminists have done in the last hundred years, not just, you know, getting the vote all those years ago, but this idea of the glass ceiling, you know, n- not enough women in politics, uh, not enough women in the boardroom. And of course, the issue of it's been proved time and time again that women very often have gotten paid and still do get paid less than other men for doing the same job. And I think that is the model for how we work towards a more equal society in which the colour of your skin does not affect your chances. Um, but again, you know, driving around in a black Formula One car, that achieves nothing. Exactly right. Time for your final one, Mark. What's it going to be? I'll give you Angela Merkel. Yeah. My attitude is that Angela Merkel is a sort of German Nicola Sturgeon. She makes a lot of platitudes, actually, and takes a lot of credit um, for things that are not of her making. In some ways, it's her sheer mediocrity as a leader that's kept her in power for so long by doing nothing and, and, and really sort of basically just treading a very fine line in the world of politics. My big problem with Angela Merkel this week is she has said the UK will have to live with the consequences of Boris Johnson's Brexit strategy. Britain will have to live with the consequences. The bottom line is Angela Merkel, like so many other people, hates Brexit hates the decision the British people made in 2016. And at last we have a leadership that is going to ride roughshod over what she thinks. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, and I'm going to take your pronunciation of Angela as correct, because I've been saying Angela all these years, but I mean, you probably know much better than me. Um, but this is similar, isn't it, Esther, to the arguments we have about race, that if you're a woman, you're supposed to uh, ab- absolutely adore every other woman politician. You're supposed to go, oh, but she's a woman, therefore she must be great. Therefore, I must support her. Uh, I don't know where you stand on Angela Merkel or Angela Merkel. Um, I've, I think she was coming very close to the end of her political life until COVID came along. And suddenly now she's had a sort of, she's one of the, the leaders who's actually done well out of it because she's some kind of a scientist. And so everybody trusts what she says, which may be right or wrong. Um, but I think she's caused a lot of problems in Europe, despite the way that she's stewarded Germany through quite a lot of good things. Yeah, I mean, you can't even criticize a woman these days if you're a woman on social media without someone saying you 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 hate the sisterhood or what kind of woman right. attacks another woman. And it's just, you know, you notice that a lot of these people that are concerned with digging up um, ethnic minorities and um, women, for instance, or when they talk about diversity, they only talk about diversity in seen fields like film and media and government and high-level corporate jobs. They don't care about di- diversity when it comes to sewage drainers. No. Um, and 
the the conversation we're now having. Um, someone like Angela Merkel, I've I've you know sort of followed um, a lot of her decisions over her career, and I just think how can any German forgive her importing a million immigrants yeah. into the country in the she did. How can anyone forgive that? Because it's not even just, it's not like, forget the whole races and whatever argument you want to throw out there. That is an extremely high influx of just people in general. Mm. That is a huge strain. It doesn't matter what country you live in, that is a huge strain on your resources, on your national resources, on your national health system, on your education system, on your transport system. That is a huge strain. I mean, that is one of the biggest blunders I think I've ever seen any European yes. leader commit in the last 50 years. People make the same mistake, Mark, um, about immigration. Um, as Nigel Farage pointed out to me when he was on my show, and he said, you know, uh, people call him a racist, but he's not. He's against uncontrolled immigration. He's against a lot of uncontrolled immigration from white Eastern European countries. It's nothing to do uh, with, with being racist. It's to do with wanting to control the people coming in. And as Esther just said there, a million people, it's not a question of where they're coming from. It's a question of another million people coming in uh, to, to an already crowded workplace where there's not that many jobs going free. No, well, I would call it the art of integration. And I would take as um, a model the high watermark of how to build an integrated society. And I would look at the United Kingdom. And that is obviously partly related to the Commonwealth and our relationship with the Caribbean and with uh, India. And obviously, at one point, the British Empire controlled a quarter of the globe. And that is our great legacy from empire, which, of course, you know, was far from perfect. And there's a case to answer there, perhaps. But ultimately, we're a very kind of global country in our in our outlook. And we are hopefully a very sort of tolerant society. But it's been done over history over time. And communities have had a chance to bed in and that's not something as esther pointed out with with what germany did which by the way i think was all based on war guilt it was an enormous act of virtue signaling just to say everybody a million people in you come well we don't have any war guilt because we didn't start the second world war we didn't give the world hitler so we don't have um any any of that sort of uh, uh, sort of guilt happening in our psyche but ultimately you know, I think the big thing with Merkel, by the way, at the moment, her last great act as chancellor could be to negotiate an excellent free trade deal with the United Kingdom. This is her opportunity. And if she achieves it, because let's be honest, the Germans control everything. They hold uh, the, the, you know, the, the levers of power within the European Union. If she doesn't achieve a trade deal with the United Kingdom, then that is an act of economic vandalism for Germany. Why? Because we are the biggest customers in the world for German cars and other German produce. Hugo Boss, Mercedes Benz, BMW, they are all in trouble if we can't get a deal. So come on, Angela, get with the programme. Let's get Brexit done and let's get a deal. Yeah, I think that's a very fair comment. Um, we're running out of time slightly here, so I'm going to move swiftly on uh, to my final nomination, which is, of course, um, surprisingly not uh, in the plank of the week list very often. And it is the Bible of the left. It is The Guardian. Um, now, I could also include The Observer in that because this weekend, The Observer wrote a big piece uh, across two pages, believe it or not, of their media section, uh, all about how, how talk radio was basically uh, on the march, taking over the airwaves, appealing to people, astonishingly, uh, in a way that they couldn't quite understand. They actually said uh, in the piece by Jim Waterston, their media commentator, um, that apparently the people of this country quite like hearing people on the radio who have opinions. 
This seems to come as some surprise to The Guardian, which is absolutely full of opinions, um, but just opinions that they don't uh, understand, clearly. But what I really liked about it was that um, they, they described me as the self-styled, anti-woke talk radio um, show, talk show host. They didn't call me a shock jock, which I was ple pleased about, but they also confirmed um, that more people have watched me ripping up The Guardian, which I do on a regular basis, um, than actually buy their paper on a weekly basis because their circulation now of the actual paper itself is so low uh, uh, as to be something around about 300,000 a week, probably. And I've been seen by far more people than that just tearing the paper up. And the reason I did tear the paper up, which they failed to mention, uh, was because some snivelling little author who wrote a column for them about Vera Lynn on the day of her death basically said that, uh, that somehow Vera Lynn's legacy had been uh, taken away and stolen by people with a toxic nostalgia for this country. And I thought to myself, look, I've got perfect, you've got perfect right to have an opinion. You've got a perfect right to not like Vera Lynn particularly, uh, or even say the things that you've said. But do you really have to publish it on the day that she died? Because her family will see that. And it's just pretty disgusting. And that's why I ripped it up. Um, and I'm very happy that they've now admitted, basically, that their sales are so low uh, that me ripping up the paper uh, attracts a bigger audience. Esther, you must have had a few run-ins with them. I don't know. It's, it's almost like um, Ash Saka's diary in 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 newspaper format. Yes. Well, I see. Speaking of her, whose name does not get mentioned often on this show because she wants to try to get me fired. Um, she uh, she of course has criticised your man Keir Starmer and said that he's a disgrace now to Labour because of what he said about the Black Lives Matter movement. But I mean, Mark, I don't know whether you have the Guardian in your house, but um, uh, I think if the BBC stopped buying the Guardian, it'd probably go out of business. Well, I think that's true. Ultimately, and, and you'll know this as, as a former pillar of the Fleet Street community, and you've edited, in, including, you know, some left-leaning titles. The Daily Mirror, and, yes. Mirror. And, you know, I'm sure that you want to live, I'm, you're, you know, like me uh, and Esther, I'm sure as well, uh, obviously a proponent of free speech, but also a great admirer of the plurality of views that our newspaper titles offer. Hmm. I don't want The Guardian to close close down or the telegraph or, or or anyone in between but the problem you've got is that there are just a few newspapers now who will surprise you every day um where the opinion is not going to be predictable i would suggest uh the times the mail now because yes. they've got a ramona lefty in mm. charge replacing paul dacre geordie uh, when Gregg. you say ramona uh, lefty please add also old etonian and an old Etonian. Um, and, and then the FT, who were quite sort of positive about Corbyn's um, manifesto. I don't know what's happened to the, the FT's gone completely. I mean, they call it the pink paper now, but that's because it's now commie paper. It's actually gone well, completely left. It's well, mad. absolutely. Absolutely. But in the defense of the FT, perhaps the Times, the Mirror, uh, it's not the Mirror at all. Uh, the FT, the Mail and, and the Times is that you don't know what you're going to read every day. And it's nuanced. And it, those are all newspapers that contain, you know, a collection of views. Yes. The problem with The Guardian is it is evangelical. It's ideological. It's mm. one note. It's basically it's undemocratic, but it's also against not just free speech, free thinking. Yeah. I mean, it, it's nearly it, it's like the sort of socialist Bible. You know, it's an absolute sort of plank of Romana left-wing groupthink yeah and that is why you're right to tear it up every day because in many ways it's worthless because it's so damn predictable yeah well exactly right it's also protected by the scott trust 
which it claims is the owner of the Guardian, which makes it ineligible for paying tax. It also was, believe it or not, started by a bloke with links to the slave trade. But you don't hear Owen Jones saying that very often, do you? <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. not. Now, we've reached the point where we've got three each. Uh, so here's what we do. Esther, I'm going to come to you first. I want you to pick your favourite out of the three nominations that came from Mark. So, Mark, give us your three nominations again. So I'm offering you Sir Keir Starmer, Mark Zuckerberg and Angela Merkel. I think Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer goes in. And what happens is all of these names end up in the top 10, but Keir Starmer goes down uh, into one of the final uh, three. So, Mark, why don't you pick my uh, your favourite one of mine? Uh, so I've got um, uh, the, the double-barrelled um, Lloyd, whatever his name is, the Labour MP. Yeah. Uh, I've got The Guardian uh, and I've also got Florence Pugh, the actor from Beverly Hills. Well, it's got to be Florence Pugh. I think it does. Wanna, makes you want to puke at her <laughs> self-flagellation. And also, let me tell you, I'm a fan of a henna tattoo. I've actually got one just underneath my left nipple. And I Have can you? show you after the program. Thank you, you very like. much. I very much look forward to that. Do they not wear off, though? I thought the whole point of henna tattoos is that they don't last. Yes. Well, I get somebody to retouch it every morning. Well, you're a lucky man. Story of my life. You can tell he lives in North London. <laughs> you don't have to go to the Heath for that, do you? No way, <laughs> I tell you. But the person that did it this morning was wearing full protective equipment. Thank so don't God. Worry. Goodness no me. COVID-19 risk That's brilliant. with my henna, henna work. Okay. Um, so now um, uh, I suppose I have to pick your, uh, your, your, what, your, one of your three, Esther. So you've got uh, Lewis Hamilton. Dawn Butler, Dawn Butler and Prince Harry. And Prince Harry. Well... You know, what's funny is that I think Prince Harry and Lewis Hamilton were both in it last week. So I'm going to go with Dawn Butler. Yeah. So that means we've got two Labour people in the final three. <laughs> right? We've got Dawn Butler, Keir Starmer and Florence Pugh. Um, one of them has to go so that we get down to a final two. So who would you say we kick out? I might lobby uh, a stay of execution for Keir Starmer because at yeah. least he is a politician who has backtracked mm. he has acknowledged that he was wrong about the blm kneeling moment he's a former director of public prosecutions and he was on bbc news saying look i used to be a lawyer and i'm a huge admirer of the police and he thought about defunding the police was such yes. a stupid idea so maybe we give credit to a politician for admitting when he was wrong yes i think that puts him into third place yeah that seems to be everyone in agreement i think we go with florence Pugh. Partly on the on the basis that Dawn Butler, I'm pretty sure, might have made an appearance before, and she could literally be in it every week um, for some of the plankery that she Mike, comes out with. Mike, there's another reason why we should go for Florence Pugh, and that's because Little Women is the most boring film I've ever seen, and I'll never get those two hours back. <laughs> so there you have it, Florence Pugh. Congratulations, you finally won something. You are plank of the week. Thank you very much indeed uh, to Esther Kraku, to Mark Dolan uh, for joining me this week. We'll be back next week, of course, with much more Plankery. Uh, and if you want to see more, go to our YouTube channel, subscribe to it, like it, and there'll be lots, lots more coming your way. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 